Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP dual credit biology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, and this is officially episode 9, week 9 of the 2019-2020 school year. In this week's podcast, we will recap the week of October 15th through October 18th in AP Dual Credit Biology and look forward to the coming week as well. Spoilers for the week, labs, 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 and FRQ on Friday. In this week's second segment, I'll go through a quick rundown of biology in the news, highlighting the biggest biology headlines happening in the world today. And in our final segment, we will revisit Mr. V's mailbag and answer another question from a listener in a segment called Mr. V Answers Your Question, or at least tries to answer your question. Now, before we begin, we need to hear from our sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs to Get Paid, paid so I could buy some teacher supplies. This episode is going to be brought to you by the mitochondria. Have you been feeling run down lately? Feeling like you aren't getting enough energy? Can't afford to continue buying all that Starbucks coffee or five-hour energy shots? Well, worry no more with mitochondria. Yes, the powerhouse of the cell will provide you with all your energy needs. It'll break down that glucose and give you 36 ATPs. You heard right, 36 ATPs for every glucose. So put down that cocaine, remember drugs are bad, and get yourself mitochondria. Mitochondria can be found in all eukaryotic cells performing cellular respiration 24-7. And we're back. So let's rewind and go back, not to Monday, because that was holiday for students, not for teachers, but to Tuesday. On Tuesday, we started off class by students getting back their free responses over carbon and macromolecules. Now, while averages for the FRQ were not all that great, I want to remind students that FRQs are difficult. Remember, the national average score on FRQs is about 50%. So if you're getting at least half the points, you're actually doing pretty good, pretty okay. In addition, this is only our second FRQ. We will get better as we get more practice. Remember, as they say, practice makes progress. So hang in there, champs. We'll pick up those scores. After FRQ scores, we started our lecture discussion over cell transport, where we focus mostly on passive transport. Passive transport through a membrane. No energy required. So let's recap those types that we discussed. First up, diffusion, with diffusion being the movement of any molecule going from high concentration to low concentration, pretty much ruled by the second law of thermodynamics, which states that the universe is going towards entropy or disorder, that we go from states of high organization to states of lower organization. So when it comes to diffusion, once again, it's the movement of molecules from high to low until dynamic equilibrium is reached once they've spread themselves out evenly throughout that space. Now, that doesn't mean the molecules stop moving. They're continuing to move. There's just no net directional movement. Now, diffusion is something we experience every day of our lives. For example, when someone passes some gas, you know, when they fart, you know, there's that saying... 
he who smelt it dealt it, which kind of makes sense because the initial high concentration of those fart molecules are originally around the person who probably passed that gas, and they start to diffuse to lower up to areas of lower concentration, spreading out throughout that area. So, if anything, when you do pass gas, just be silent and don't say anything. Now, what molecules can diffuse right across the membrane? Well, molecules that are similar to the composition of a phospholipid bilayer, like small lipids, hydrophobic molecules, nonpolar molecules like oxygen and carbon dioxide. Those molecules will be able to diffuse just very easily across that membrane, once again, from high to low concentration. Next, we discuss facilitated diffusion. Still diffusion, molecules going from high to low concentration just need a little bit of help from an integral protein, a protein channel, a very specific protein channel that allows certain molecules to go from high concentration to low concentration through a membrane. Now, what type of molecules need help getting across the membrane? Well, those that are hydrophilic or maybe have a charge, like sugars, like glucose, amino acids, and even water using aquaporins to get across the membrane, but still diffusing across that membrane. Once again, no energy is required. A type of passive transport just need that help from that protein channel. Which, if you think about it, the reason we call it facilitated diffusion, well, facilitate means to assist or to help. So these protein channels are helping these molecules move across the membrane. Now, remember, these proteins are very specific. For example, there's one protein channel that allows just water to go in or out, name an aquaporin. Others are specific for just letting glucose. Another one just for a certain amino acid. So very, very specific. So to recap our Tuesday, passive transport, no energy required, and two types that we discussed today, diffusion and facilitated diffusion. And that brought an end to our Tuesday. On to Wednesday, which was PSAT, SAT testing day all morning. No first, second, or third period, and shortened periods for the rest of the afternoon. And hopefully, juniors, you did well on that exam, and I'm possibly even speaking to some future National Merit Scholars. Now, for my afternoon classes, since we only met for about 30 minutes, what our objectives were is that quizzes were passed back over cells, and students had a little bit of time to review them, and we also gave back your organelle speed dating activity, and students were able to put these in their neatly organized binder or their backpack of entropy. We finished up our shortened Wednesday periods by reviewing the types of passive transport and beginning our discussion of active transport, and that brought an end to our Wednesday. On to Thursday. For morning classes, we started by returning cell quizzes and organelle speed dating activities and giving a little bit of time for students to review, correct their assignments. After this, we launched back into our notes over cell transport, recapping passive transport, diffusion, and facilitated diffusion. But then we focused on active transport, the type of transport across the cell membrane that requires energy because now we are moving molecules against their concentration gradient from low concentration to high concentration with the use of an integral protein, but this time being a protein 
pump, once again, pumping molecules against their concentration gradient. What kind of molecules? Usually ions, things that have charges like sodium or potassium, once again, against their concentration gradient. Also falling into active transport, but not because it's moving material from low to high concentration, but because it's using energy by either moving its cell membrane, changing its shape, or using vesicles and vacuoles to transport material across the cell membrane in a process that we call endo and exocytosis, which the cell will expend energy, hence why we classify it as active transport. Let's first discuss endocytosis. This is when the cell engulfs in material. Now there's three different types of endocytosis, phagocytosis, pinocytosis, and receptor-mediated endocytosis. First, let's cover phagocytosis, cellular eating. This is when the cell engulfs something solid, usually a piece of food that it's going to break down, that it usually puts in a food vacuole. Next, let's look at Pinocytosis, sometimes referred to as cellular drinking. This is when the cell engulfs something more nonspecific, usually fluids around the cell, engulfs them in and puts them in a vacuole. And our last type is receptor-mediated endocytosis. This is where specific molecules will bind to receptors on the cell membrane that it will then engulf in. So it's something very specific that binds to a receptor that's a perfect match to that receptor that it will engulf in, maybe a particular amino acid or a particular protein. Now, exocytosis, this is when the cell is expelling material out, a vesicle or maybe a some sort of vacuole will fuse with the cell membrane and then expel out usually products, maybe a protein or an enzyme that the organism might need. We ended our discussion about cell transport by reviewing one last type of passive transport, no energy required, called osmosis. Now, osmosis is the diffusion of water through a membrane. That's the key thing. Water going from high concentration to low concentration, but through a membrane. If it's just water going from high to low, that's just diffusion. Throw a membrane in there, it is osmosis. Now, we've talked about how water is beast. And you know, cells are mostly made of water. They're surrounded by water. And this water, the environments that cells find themselves in, has usually dissolved particles in there, dissolved sugars, salts, which means there's different types of environments that they could find themselves in all the time. Now, these environments usually differ in their solute concentration, and that will have osmosis go either into the cell or out of the cell. So let's review the three different types of environments cells can find themselves in. First, hypertonic solutions. This is where you have a lot of solutes, very little free water. Most of the free water will be tied up to the solute. Next, hypotonic solutions or environments. Less solute, a lot more free water. And then finally, isotonic environments. Equal solute, equal free water. And remember, in biology, the solute we usually deal with is either sugar or salt. 
Now let's discuss how cells will react differently to these environments. Now animal cells prefer to be in isotonic solutions, a mild salt or a saline solution where water goes in and out of animal cells at equal rates. 10 water molecules go in, 10 water molecules go out. This is where they're going to hold that volume and this is where they love to be in. Now, animal cells in hypotonic solutions like fresh water or distilled water, this is where animal cells will burst. They'll start taking in way too much water. There's a lot more free water outside than inside. It'll start entering the cell, causing it to swell and burst. And then animal cells in hypertonic solutions, like a salt water solution, this is where they will shrivel up and die. This is where there's a high concentration of salt or sugar on the outside, very little water. There's more free water inside the cell that starts exiting, causing it to shrivel and die. Now, plants react a little bit differently in these environments. Plants, first of all, love to be in hypotonic solutions, fresh water solutions, where there's a lot more free water on the inside, starts entering the plant cell, but in this case, it doesn't burst. Why? Because of that cell wall. That water pushes against the cell wall, but remember, the cell wall is made of cellulose, very tough, very rigid, and they get optimal turgor pressure. The plant cell is turgid, and this is what they love to be in. Now, plants in isotonic solutions will survive, but this is where they start getting a little bit flaccid. The leaves start to limp over. You know, water's going in and out at equal rates, but they don't get that optimal turgor pressure, and they're not turgid like they are in hypotonic solutions. Now, finally, in hypertonic solutions, like a saltwater solution, plants will go through plasmolysis. The cell wall doesn't really change its shape very much because, once again, it's very tough, very inflexible. But the cell membrane peels away. Everything collapses inside due to all that water exiting out of the cell. Since there's so much more water inside the cell than outside, it'll start to exit, pretty much killing the plant cell. Make sure to definitely check out that example problem at the end of the PowerPoint. It's a very basic, very go-to osmosis problem that you should definitely be able to work out. And this pretty much ended our Thursday. Finally, Friday arrives, which was quiz day. Quiz over cell membranes and cell transport. Students had 12 minutes to complete their quiz and demonstrate that proficient to expert level knowledge over chapter 7. Alert, alert, this just in. Those of you who are absent must make up the quiz by Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday morning. After the quiz, morning classes learn how to use a microscope properly by looking at some prepared slides of onion root tips of cells in different stages of cell division. Students were able to view the cells by starting at low power, 40x, and then moving all the way to high power of 400x. Students afterwards made sure to put their microscopes away properly by moving to the low power objective, lowering the stage all the way down, and wrapping the cord around the base. Afternoon classes were able to learn to use the microscope on Thursday due to the extra time from PSAT, SAT testing, so they were able to perform the eukaryotic cell observation lab. This is when students viewed some of their own cells, their cheek cells using a methyl blue stain. They prepared their slides and observed and sketched their cheek cells. Morning classes, you'll perform and complete this lab on Monday. And that was the shortened week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology. And now for our segment, Biology in the News, where I bring you the biggest biology headlines in the world today. 
First big headline, researchers have discovered an enzyme they believe could be the key to preventing group A streptococcus infections, the ones that cause strep throat and lead to more than 500,000 deaths worldwide each year. With this finding, it could now provide an opportunity for a drug discovery targeting this newly discovered enzyme. Now, this is great news. With streptococcus being resistant to a lot of our antibiotics, you know, the development of a new drug will definitely give us a new tool to continue to combat this bacteria. Another big headline making the news is how mucus, that's right, how boogers can tame microbes. New research reveals that glycans, sugars found in mucus, can prevent bacteria from communicating with each other and forming infectious biofilms, effectively rendering the microbes harmless. We actually will be discussing cell communication in bacteria, something called quorum sensing, in a couple weeks. So we'll definitely come back to this story to dive deeper into exactly how these sugars kind of tame these biofilms. And that is our biology in the news today. And now for our final segment, Mr. V's Mailbag, where I answer a listener's question. And this week, we have a question submitted on Edmodo from a username called Endgame is a Top 5 Movie Come Fight Me. Okay, well, that's a weird name, uh, a weird movie to actually fight for. Well, the question is, Mr. V, how did you become a biology teacher? Well, that is actually an excellent question. So what I'm going to do is give you my short version of how I became a teacher. Now, becoming a teacher was something I did not originally plan on. I got my degree in molecular biology, and I always loved the sciences. So I started to pursue a master's in pharmacology and toxicology and actually worked at the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology at UT. But what I started to notice as I was going through my work and my degree is that while I liked the laboratory work and I liked the subject matter, I just couldn't really see myself doing that for the rest of my life. And I always remembered a piece of advice that my dad gave me is that when you find your job, it has to be a job that you love because it's something that you're going to be doing, you know, for the majority of your life. So then it's almost like teaching or fate just found me. I was walking around UT one day, uh, actually going to the lab to continue my work, where I saw a flyer for a brand new program at UT called UTeach. And it was a program for post-bachelorette individuals that had degrees in science or math that were maybe interested in teaching. So I attended their information meeting and found out that it was actually a pretty awesome program where they would first pay for your entire first year coursework and also immediately put you into a classroom with a mentor teacher to start to gauge your interests in teaching. So I applied to the program and got accepted and started doing my coursework and started to find out that it was something that I actually really liked to do. Uh, my question was just like, you know, was I good at it? Now, one of the stressful components of the UTeach program was that after a year, they would do an evaluation and they would evaluate to see first, you know, were you still interested in teaching? But also second, you know, were you actually good at teaching? Because they weren't going to continue to pay for you to be in the program if you weren't a very good teacher. 
So after a year in the program, I started to realize that it was something that I really, really liked, even loved, but I still questioned, you know, whether I was actually good at it. So my mentor teacher for my teaching assignment was a teacher named Jason Hook, who taught at a Austin middle school. He actually taught genetics. So I was able to teach his course. I was able to teach for about two and a half months of his genetics course to a bunch of eighth graders. Now, after my teaching, you know, he gave me his formal evaluation. And in his formal evaluation, he put down something that I still remember today that pretty much changed my course of what I was going to do. And in his evaluation, he wrote down that the world would be a much better place if I was teaching in it. And once I read that, I I knew that teaching was something that I needed to do. And it's something that I love. And it's something that I still love to do today. I mean, when I walk into the classroom, I still get excited about teaching biology and meeting all my students. So that's, that is my story of how I became a teacher. Well, that concludes our final segment. If you would like to submit a question for Mr. V's mailbag, send your question via email to ovelas at neisd.net or Edmodo message me with your question. Well, that also brings us to an end of Episode 9, Week 9 of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive and Sound Bible for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and directed by Velasquez Productions. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and please comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. Remember, this entire week we have labs 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 and frq on friday well this is your host mr oscar velasquez your master of the biological arts signing off and reminding you to please please for your professor's sake read your chapter seven online masterybiology.com Thousand.